Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Wednesday, August 24th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what you need to know today. A former police officer admits falsifying the search warrant that led to Breonna Taylor's death. Plus, student loan debt by the numbers. But first, the outlook for the Russia-Ukraine war at six months. That's today's one big thing. Today is the 31st anniversary of Ukraine's independence from the Soviet Union, and it also marks exactly six months since Russia's invasion began. Tens of thousands of lives have been lost. Millions of people have been displaced. And that's why today, instead of a parade, central Kyiv is decorated with the husks of burned-out Russian armored vehicles. But President Volodymyr Zelensky yesterday warned the world against war fatigue and said he would not allow the conflict to freeze in its current state with Russia occupying one-fifth of Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin seems equally intent on pushing ahead. Axios' world editor, Dave Lawler, joined me last night to share what that means for these countries and for the rest of the world. Hey, Dave. Hi, Nyla. Dave, where are we at right now? Because six months in, it seems like we're much farther from an end to this war than we were at the beginning. Yeah, Nyla. So I've been thinking about the early days of the war, right, when we thought any day that Kyiv could fall, that Russia was really closing in on the city. And then we'd see a video of Zelensky and think, okay, he's still alive. You know, this was the early phase of the war, but Russia was unsuccessful there. They didn't take Kyiv, they pulled back. And we ended up in this kind of grinding war of attrition in the east of the country, which is still going on. But now the focal point is also moving to the south. That's where Russia has had some success in occupying quite a bit of territory. And we think uh, Ukraine might be gearing up for a counterattack there. And so when I said at the beginning that Russia occupies one fifth of Ukraine, is that to the east and the south only? Right. So they have Crimea still, which they've occupied since 2014. They have a couple of oblasts, their states in the south of the country, and then they control most of this Donbass region in the east, you know, where the fighting took place prior to the invasion. There was already a conflict in the east of the country there. So those are the areas that Russia controls. As you said, Zelensky was asked, you know, would you accept that, basically? Would you freeze these lines in place in order to get peace? Uh, look, that offer is not on the table from Russia anyways, but Zelensky said, no, we're not going to leave Russia still controlling what is about a fifth of our country. And so it does seem like this war has not really approached any kind of endpoint. How are we seeing the rest of the world react at this half-year mark? It seems like a lot of the global rallying around Ukraine has lost a bit of that momentum. Yeah, so one thing that the Ukrainians will be happy about is we are expecting another big announcement from the U.S. about weapons shipments to Ukraine. That's, you know, their main concern at the moment is making sure they have the arms they need to wage this war. But there is some concern about what's going to happen in Europe in the coming months. They're really getting squeezed on natural gas prices because Russia's supply is very much in question. It could be a difficult winter in Europe, and there's some question about whether that will impact the support there for Ukraine, which is so important. EU support is really important for Ukraine in waging this war. And then there's the rest of the world where 
you know, they're also feeling the effects of this war in terms of higher gas prices, higher prices for uh, wheat and other essential foods. There is maybe more division in the international response than we saw immediately after uh, the invasion happened. But there's very much still an intent from the U.S., from France, from Canada, from the U.K., these big Western countries to say they're going to continue to do what it takes to support Ukraine for the long haul. And where does that leave Vladimir Putin then? Has his endgame changed? Some people think he just wants to leave this wound open in Ukraine, basically. You know, keep a conflict raging there, keep the country divided. Other people say he still has his eyes on Kiev and he wants to take the capital. He still has these maximalist objectives from early in the war. Nobody at the moment seems to think he really wants a peace deal. He really wants this war to end. That obviously could change. But reading Vladimir Putin's mind is a fool's errand in some way, even though it is still one of the key questions here. What does Vladimir Putin want and what would he accept? Axis's world editor, Dave Lawler. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Nala. In a moment, the first conviction over the death of Breonna Taylor. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. A former Kentucky cop pleaded guilty yesterday to conspiracy in the killing of Breonna Taylor. Former Louisville Metro Police Officer Kelly Goodlett admitted in federal court to falsifying the no-knock search warrant that led to Taylor's death and to giving a false report afterwards as part of a cover-up attempt. Goodlett is the first officer to be convicted in the fatal shooting of the 26-year-old Breonna Taylor. Axios' Shauna Chen is covering this. Shauna, what details do we have about Goodlett's actions here? Yeah, so Goodlett was one of four officers facing federal charges, and she helped falsify the search warrant that essentially led to Taylor's death. So officers went to her home at night um, with a no-knock warrant uh, in an attempt to poke around and, and as part of a drug investigation, but they used battering ram to break down her door and forcibly enter her house. Kenneth Walker, her boyfriend at the time, thought they were intruders and fired. And in return, officers opened fire into the apartment. And that's what led to her death. So the fact that she, you know, admitted in court to falsifying the search warrant um, is a really big move and could have implications for the other three officers facing charges as well. So, Shauna, when we say falsified, what does that mean? The Department of Justice said Goodlett admitted that all of the information in the warrant affidavit justifying the no-knock entry for Taylor's home was false as it related to Taylor. So she admitted that there was no valid reason to seek the no-knock warrant that eventually led to Taylor's killing. And so are prosecutors alleging this was part of a larger conspiracy attempt or cover-up? Yeah, so two other officers are facing similar charges for falsifying the the search warrant. And from what it looks like from the plea agreement, those two were the ones who were instigating more of the cover-up and the falsification. Goodlett, based on the plea agreement at least, seemed to have been strung along a little bit. Based on the plea agreement, it seemed that she felt unable to speak out against her superiors, essentially, who are leading 
um, this investigation and who were kind of instigating the falsification of the search warrant. In the plea agreement, it says that she was ostracized early in her career for attempting to report a fellow officer's use of excessive force. And so that's why she didn't feel comfortable speaking up because she felt that there would be repercussions. She faces up to five years in prison, a fine of $250,000 in a three-year term of supervised release. But a lot of people are saying that her testimony could prove crucial uh, as prosecutors pursue cases against the other three officers. Axios is Shauna Chen. Thanks, Shauna. Thank you, Nyla. One final story before we go. President Biden is expected to make an announcement today on student loan debt forgiveness. Here's a refresher on what U.S. student debt looks like by the numbers. Borrowers owe a total of about $1.75 trillion as of August 5th. That's according to the Federal Reserve. The average American household with student debt owes just about $59,000. That's according to a 2021 study by NerdWallet. President Biden's expected action could affect as many as 45 million borrowers. That's it for us today. Remember, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. These days, you do that by hitting the little plus sign in the upper right-hand corner of the screen on our podcast in the app. And that's free, no paid subscription needed. While you're there, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and review, it helps other people find the show. Thanks to everyone who's already done this. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks also for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt is a podcast from Lemonada Media that operates under the premise that the most comforting thing for all of us is knowing what and what not to worry about. Host Andy Slavitt, former White House Senior Advisor for COVID Response, is here to help you make sense of tough issues from COVID to the crisis in Ukraine to climate change and beyond. Andy breaks down the most complex news stories in a way that's easy to understand. In the Bubble has new episodes out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.